Hi, and welcome to the Voice of 5G podcast. It's a podcast from Ericsson with me, Paul Cowling. And me, Janina Taunant. So Janina, here we are again. Here we are again, and you su- surprised me there by starting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder what we're going to talk about today. Could yeah. it be? Let me guess. Five G. <laughs> it's always a conundrum, right? It's we always surprise ourselves that we talk about five G every time. Yeah, think of a number between four and six. Uh, is it five? Is it G? And yeah. G. <laughs> Think of a letter between F and H. <laughs> <laughs> just random, just a random happenstance here. We're talking about five yeah. G. And also, another thing that we're going to talk about that we know we're going to talk about is Mobile World Congress. We are going to talk about what we talked about at Mobile World Congress and what was hot topics at the show and the things which which may be going to set the scene for what's happening around 5G for the year to come. Yep. And Paul was there. So we're going to listen to some interviews, both from business builders and the customers of Ericsson who visited Ericsson's booth. And when you say customers, Janina, what you really mean is mobile operators, people that actually run and use 5G, that provide 5G services for consumers and businesses. True. With a kind of somewhat different perspective from us on what 5G is all about and what they're trying to do with it. Indeed. And the Mobile Congress, first of all, that is a way to see what's happening in the in this business of mobile networks and what's happening with 5G and moving into what's next. What's next? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, because we, we're saying like, oh, we're going to talk about what we normally talk about, which is 5G. And what we started talking about last episode, which is Mobile Congress. But we are in this episode going into the future, Paul. We're going into the future mm. and, we, and maybe what's next, but also a little bit maybe beyond what's next. Yes. One so, step beyond. Yeah. So in this episode, we're talking about the area of future networks. This was a quite a futuristic part of Ericsson's booth at the Congress. So, Paul, what was your experience there? You entered the hall straight into this futuristic space. You enter the hall and you have a choice. And I think a lot of people maybe made the wrong choice and didn't enter through the futuristic experience. Mm -hmm. But there's a kind of avenue or an enclosed space that you wander through and see a little bit of all the different, you you could say all the different buzzwords, all all of the things and the terminologies that we're expecting in terms of cognitive networks and digital twins and all that kind of stuff. And it brings you through to what they call the igloo, which is a little dark space where (laughs) some of our experts, a dark space, a little dark room, a vault in the base of a mountain, except there is no mountain, (laughs) (laughs) where these technical wizards talk to you about the future and what you're going to see when it comes to things like 6G. Yes. Before we let you out into the rest of the hall where you can wander around and see some of the other things which are coming to networks near you in the future. Mm. Where do you want to start? Shall we talk a little bit about 6G? How about we start talking a little bit about 6G, Paul? (laughs) Let's go a little bit into it. Yeah, what was it? 4G, 5G, 6G. There's a kind of a 
nine or ten year cycle for each generation. Even when 5G is, is starting to roll out and it's now been rolling out for some time, there are people thinking about what comes next? Mm. And uh, what comes next from a connectivity point of view is a kind of succession of what we've seen over, over previous generations. We're going to have more things connected to the network and we're talking things now because we're not We've already got billions of people, so we're not connecting billions more people because they there aren't that many billions not connected. So it's more things and more traffic generated and a kind of more consistent experience. And going back to f- the comparison with 5G, because that is also one of the things with the 5G, like connecting devices. And perhaps something that we haven't really seen yet is... Remember, the 5G networks that were launched, they were launched with what was called non-standalone at first. And that was like using the capabilities of the 4G networks when it comes to managing the networks. Yeah, I mean, non-standalone used the use of an adaptation of the 4G core network together with a, with an access network that was 5G. Mm. And then now we're seeing standalone networks which have a genuine 5G core, which gives you a bit more capability. And that has just that has just started to be rolled out. And that's just started to be rolled out. Right, one or two years. <laughs> yeah, in the, last, in the last year, 18 months or yeah. something. Mm. It's maybe a little bit early to say exactly what the rollout for 6G will look like, but I'm fairly sure that the same will apply, that you've made all this investment in 5G. When, you, when we have 6G, it needs to be sewn together so that you can reuse what's there for 5G. But when we come to talking about the number of things, one of the things that we were showing there in the dark little cave <laughs> was, well, yeah, was some work that some research work that we've been doing together with MIT in mm. sensor technology, creating fabrics which have pressure sensors in. So you end up with like a woolly knitted garment, and the thread which the garment is made of, made from allows you to build into the garment thousands of pressure sensors where the where threads cross. So you can... Uh, Sorry like, for laughing, but that, that sounds like very futuristic. Wow. Wow. But you can imagine, for instance, if you have elderly patients and you're concerned about them getting bed sores or you know how much they're sitting and how they're sitting, or if you're a performance athlete and you want information on your body dynamics and things like that, then you can imagine that you've got these thousands of sensors which are connected to something and that sensor information is available. So yes, today for 5G we're talking about being able to put sensors into factories and uh, sensors into other environments Mm. and build data sets. But the more sensors you have, the more data you have, the more analysis you need, the more Mm. processing happens. And we know that like processing capabilities continue to expand in 10 years time or 10 years after we launch 5G. So in another five or six years time, what will be possible when it comes to new sensor types and new processing types and new data types and the use of AI and these things will allow us to do different things with information and connecting to the world around us than we do today. So that's the kind of the background for wanting a 6G network that supports more traffic and more devices and higher device densities than we get with 5G. And one of the one of the things we don't talk about so very much about 5G is that it has a supports a much higher device density than 4G. Now, yes, 4G can do a lot of use cases, but if the number of devices keeps growing and you eventually reach a point where you need to have 5G just 
because you've said sense identities and things. And 6G takes that one step beyond. But also in this cave, we show a kind of a prototype for a 6G radio and a 6G user device. And because we are at a trade show and because it's only a prototype or a demo, it's actually connected over wires. It's not broadcast through the air, but it's using very high frequency bands in, I forget the exact numbers, but in the hundreds of gigahertz. So that's maybe 10 times higher than we see with current 5G systems, which means that the actual antennas, the antenna chip with lots and lots of different antennas on it is only about like 12 millimetres across or something. Tiny little antenna in a great big box with some with lots of chunky electronics around at this stage. But I don't know if you remember way, way, way back in the early days of 5G, we had a like a prototype 5G mobile device. Yeah, that's what I'm th- thinking about. And, yeah. And that was about the size of those trolleys that tea ladies used to have. <laughs> <laughs> A wheel on each corner and there are two trays and things, probably even a little bit bigger than that. Yes, I think in Britain you had tea ladies. Probably the equivalent in Sweden would be the the flortant. Flortant, yeah, okay. (laughs) The one that brought you your fluoride that you had to gurgle with when as a kid. You didn't have that. No. And we had dental care. Dental care. <laughs> Sorry, we had we have fluoride in the water. <laughs> we do have that too. Yeah. No, so like the a woman came out with a big trolley, with a big trolley. Yeah. but with a 5G system, and I remember that this was like, oh, this is actually the phone. This was the equivalent of a phone. It, to be fair, the screen on of it was a kind of large screen HD TV. <laughs> So it had quite good visual capabilities, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a bit big to put in your pocket. Yeah. But the equivalent, the user device part of this demonstration, how big would that be? It's about so maybe the size of a half of a normal roll-on suitcase. Mm. It's about that. It's about that big. And there's no screen because all it's demonstrating is passing data. And do you want to know how much data this demo was? The 6G one? The 6G one. Because I was like... I was trying to remember how much data did the 5G one. Do you remember back in the day? I can't remember. I remember that it was... But hmm? I do know that that we've just demonstrated 15 gigabits per second for 5G. Yeah. And we have a demo at Barcelona, also one of these future things, which was 2 gigabits per second for Uplink, which is actually a lot. Can we have a guess that it was perhaps 10 gigabit per second that we had in that first demo for 5G? I remember that it was that it was talked that oh 5G might ge- give up to 20 gigabit per second. It might be real. Yeah, and here we are at 15. Yeah, here we are <laughs> at 15. Launched, yeah. Yeah. At the time that 5G came, 4G got to a, somewhere between one and a half and two gigabits per second, depending on how much spectrum you gave it. Wow, it's a big difference. And, but it's interesting to see the development because when 4G started, it was 75 megabits per second. And it got up to one and a half gigabits. Yeah. So if we're looking at 5G, starting at maybe realistic speeds of actually getting two gigabits per second on on the network, Mm. then you can see the potential that 5G has. 6G, this first demonstration was talking 100 gigabits per second. Mm. (laughs) That's a lot more. The, The demo allowed you to actually put in attenuation, so loss for moving, equivalent to moving the handset away from the antenna, which allowed you to see that you still got a reasonable throughput, like 
for, I can't remember, four, five, six, ten gigabits per second at something like a kilometer distance from the antenna. So pretty mm-hmm. good mm. performance. Yes. In that demo. And then we were talking also about some of the potentials in when it comes to different spectrum bands. The same with 5G today that you've got different spectrum bands that give you very high throughput or very good coverage and a combination of bands gives you like the best overall performance for the network. Mm. And the same will be true for 6G that in some places you'll have very high frequencies which give you these monster and bandwidths and in other places yes you're going to need to add in some lower bands which will allow you to do the same types of techniques to extend coverage for the higher frequencies yes so more frequencies bands coming more frequency bands yeah. coming and one and other one really interesting thing which was also we were talking about there was zero energy devices yes that uh, is a new thing and sounds really cool Well, it's a new thing, but it's also not a new thing. But the basic concept is that, you know, and they talked about there are multiple different ways of harvesting energy. And an obvious one is like solar panels that takes light photons and converts it in, into energy, which you can use. And you've had things like solar powered watches and those types of devices, which can gather environmental energy, you can say. Mm. But what they were demonstrating here uh, was... There is a kinetic as well, like watches. Yeah. I know my dad had a like a kinetic. Like yeah, I, in this back in the 1970s, I had a kinetic watch. <laughs> That's really cool. Which unfortunately I've lost or given away over the years because it would be quite nice to clean it up and have one yeah. of those again. Environmentally friendly, no batteries, mm. just mechanical clockwork, as they say. <laughs> So should we very quickly say that is you charge it by like when you're moving, I think it's like a spring that you charge up. So it's mechanical. It's like no? any it's like any clockwork. There's a spring in it which holds the energy. But through your movement in ratchets or whatever, yes. it's actually winding up the spring when you move the watch. Yeah. Super cool. And this is now the equivalent, but This is the equivalent. But, but what this was demonstrating was... Um, but almost call it cannibalistic for the for the mobile system, using radio waves to power devices. <laughs> And it's a little bit like these wireless chargers. You put your device onto the wireless charger and it, without any wired connection, it can transfer energy from the charger into the phone. Yeah. But in this case, the wireless charger is some radio antenna somewhere, depending on what frequency band you're using. Uh-huh. And things like FM and AM radio transmitters actually transmit very high power levels. So there's got a lot of energy in the radio spectrum, which you can tap into. If you don't um, have that many much need for if, if a lot of energy. If your mm-hmm. device doesn't need a lot of energy. Mm. And of course, you can, the available amounts of energy on a very small sensor mm. is actually quite small. But you can store it over a longer period of time and then use it for a very short period of time. Mm. So I just need to send a burst of data once a day or once an hour or something. Then I can draw energy off all of the time over the hour and then use that energy which I've saved up to just send my little packet of data and then go back to gleaning energy again. I know it, it might be a little bit late, but I know Ericsson is having or has had a live broadcast about zero energy devices. We haven't had it yet when we're recording this, but we probably have had it when this is coming out. But how about we link to that one in the show notes? People can learn a lot more about zero energy devices. That, that sounds excellent. And you tell me the details because I'd like to listen to that. Yeah, I'll send you the details too. 
Yeah, that was that that dome that contained these 6G demos and some of the really futuristic stuff. Let's listen to Nikit Gangwi who can describe the demos uh, live from the show floor. Yeah, and then you can hear how it really was and not how Paul thought it was. Nikit, can you please tell me what's happening? It sounds very exciting. It's always buzzing. Yeah. In fact, the dome is an experiential space that we've built this year. It's very unique. And the fact that we're focusing on future technologies that is in the time frame of 2030-35. When you enter the dome, the ceiling is a visual representation of the future network. And that network we're showing, how will it function in the future to support those use cases that demand high throughput, that demand wide coverage and a lot of connectivity in the future. And I've seen that it just lits up and then there's like, you know, there is a blink and then there is a rupture in the screen and it looks, it like just comes alive. So, but do you also have another prototypes or other demos inside? Absolutely. In fact, the, the four demos that we have in there, are the heart of the dome or the whole experience. They are extremely unique. The first one being a digital twin of a 6G network, which essentially allows you to create a digital twin of a network. We've had digital twins of a robot, of other objects, but here we're creating a digital twin of a network. Highly relevant for operators who can test new features, capacity launches, in a digital twin and then actually go out live in the in the field. The second one, which is in fact a path-breaking or a groundbreaking demo, which talks about which shows live 100 gigabits per, per, per second. That's again extreme high throughputs, but that's in a sub-terahertz band, which is 90 to 300 gigahertz. Next up. We are also showing a live demo of a wideband power amplifier, which relates to the centimetric wave, which is again a new spectrum requirement for 6G, which is in the range of 7 to 15 gigahertz. These, both these spectrums, the sub-terahertz that I spoke earlier, the centimetric wave, both of these spectrums are new requirements for 6G. And as we go along in terms of standardization process, trials, these will have to be made available for 6G to be a realization. Last but not the least, which is also the most popular demo, has been the zero energy devices. The devices are, there are tiny devices weaved into the fabric, for instance, a cloth, a sweater that we're showing here. But the most unique part about these devices or these sensors are that they don't have a battery but they have to emit data. How do they do that? That's a collaboration that we have with MIT, where these devices have a sensor or a chip that can harvest radio frequencies. And that's the beauty of it. We expect billions and trillions of such devices all around us 
in a 20, 30, 35 time frame. Wow, that's not very far. So it's just being like transported to the future, but still we know that it's just around the horizon. So what do you think are the benefits of, uh, or what do you think would be the applications of so the sensors in the clothes or the fabric? Where do you think they're going to be used for? Highly relevant, for instance, in a healthcare environment, okay. for athletes, for, I mean, measuring temperature, instance you can have one of these sensors in the box when you're shipping for example they can you measure what's the temperature inside the box mm -hmm. and then across when it goes let's say across pacific you can keep a measure of the temperature and make sure that the shipment and everything that you send is all right wow i am so thrilled by thinking about the future what future holds for us so uh, Nikit, what kind of reactions? I'm sure the reaction was a big wow, but what other reactions did you have from the customers as soon as they entered the dome? Yeah, the reactions, I mean, when they enter the dome, because it's a dark space uh, with a lot of visual effects in the ceiling, they have been wowed with it. But at the same time, they have been worried. Why are we showing 6G in, in times where we have just launched 5G in majority of the countries? But And so that's something that we want to make sure we communicate that 6G is still far ahead. We are very, very early in our technology development. And we here we're trying to just showcase some of those early advancements in tech development. So 6G is still will be coming live in a 2030 timeframe, mm -hmm. but we're just showing early developments here. And that's something that we were also communicating back to our customers. Wow, so that also establishes us as the pioneers of innovations and new technology that we are bringing and showcasing from Ericsson's Hall at MWC 2023. Well, thank you, Nikit. It was very exciting to be here with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, that was Nikit and our roving reporter, uh, Swati. Um, the futuristic part of Ericsson's show floor, that is to really wow people and get people to look ahead. But were they impressed is another question. So let's listen to Robert Janssen. And Robert is one of our business builders, so he's one of the people that's been talking with visitors and, and gets to see their reactions firsthand, of course. Yes. And how impressed were they when they left from here? Yeah, I, I would say, especially when you start talking about the 6G part that we try to visualize here a little bit as well. We talk about limitless connectivity, we talk about trustworthy systems, we talk about network compute fabric, and we talk about cognitive networks. Um, and uh, it's a lot of buzz buzzwords, and when you try to explain it to them, sometimes they're a little bit overwhelmed with how, what we see happening from a future perspective. So in this example here, we're talking about billions of connected um, of uh, sensors everywhere. We're going to like have a, a total replica 
of the physical world in a digital world and do that real time. And that's what we call uh, this uh, cyber, con uh, cyber physical continuum uh, in this case. Uh, and that sometimes overwhelms them a little bit when we start talking about that, uh, what, what you notice from the reactions, uh, wondering how far away is this from a timing perspective. Exactly, yes. Because some of the, some of the operators are still getting onto the 5G journey and then thinking and talking about 6G, which we could definitely be I'm normally I'm quite careful, you know, depending on where they are. You know, the more evolved operators, I probably talk about 6G when they just started, when they just have the 4G going and are applying for the license or just starting, then I will not talk so much about 6G. I will try to focus more on where they are right now, uh, not to confuse them too much. Uh. Absolutely. That sounds great. Well, this is fantastic and it looks beautiful, the, this centerpiece. Uh, you can see the 3D model and you can see all these nice lights and orange and the blue showing the different, are they showing the different bandwidth or what are they showing? Yeah, it's like uh, the, or, the orange in this case is representing the 5G. 4G is represented by the, by the green color, for instance. So. Oh, okay. So that's what they are. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Overwhelmed seem to be, and I think I'm also a bit overwhelmed when I'm listening to what was shown. Actually, this the non-terrestrial 5G network being one of the stuff that was talked about. The 6G, the zero energy devices, the, the just the speed of 6G. It is quite futuristic. Just when we launched 5G, were you impressed? Well, was I impressed? The thing with something like 100 gigabits per second is it's totally incomprehensible number. And particularly for me, remember the f when you first could connect to the internet mm. and you used a modem on your telephone line and you got maybe a few thousand bits per second. And now we're talking about 100,000 million bits per second. Yeah. 9.6K, I think, was my mode. So that's, like, so that's about 10 million times faster than the internet when it, was, when it first arrived. Crazy. And it's not and, that long ago. And you probably still sit in your application watching and waiting for the, for the screen to <laughs> oh, refresh. Oh, yes. <laughs> Computer guys, you've got some catching up to do because the networks are a lot faster than they used to be. Mm. going to be even faster. One thing I would mention that I thought was really cool, and this is like futuristic, but actually not that futuristic because it's happening now, is going from networks which are designed for two-dimensional coverage which is to say us walking around at ground level and it's 3D-ish because it covers tall buildings and things to three-dimensional coverage. Oh. So providing coverage in what you might call the airspace above mm. the countryside. And we had a demo there from our mission critical team to work with, amongst other things, public safety networks and other you know, networks for utilities and that type of thing. And they were showing a network which is designed to provide coverage in the airspace. And that's done in, uh, they've been working in conjunction with Terracom, which is a company in Sweden, which provides a network for like blue night services and other 
public bodies, emergency mm. services, so that you can provide mobile connectivity to devices flying around, like drones. So maybe you're sending drones out to survey what's happening in a forest fire, for instance, mm. or your ambulance helicopter or your search and rescue helicopter, those types of use cases. So things that are up in the air uh, can also get good mobile connectivity. Mm. Really interesting. Yeah, especially in the, those kinds of situations, catastrophes, natural disaster situations, you realize that actually, yeah, the connectivity on ground is needed in a mm. more vertical space as it's, well. It's needed in a more vertical space, but it's also this difference. That one of the things which non-terrestrial networks tries to address is you need coverage where there aren't so many people. Normally, coverage is built based on the, where is the population because it's people that are going to use mm. it. But in an emergency situation, it could be that you're out over the open virgin forest land and there aren't that many people there. So you need to, like good coverage in terms of long distance. So they're actually using very high antennas. They're a, a number of the antennas using, they're kind of piggybacking on television masts, which tend to be very tall to give mm. very wide coverage. And then they're using particular frequency bands for this, which are not being used for the normal public mobile network. And so they can get very big coverage areas, like tens of kilometers for each cell, which gives you a very large coverage area and a very a relatively small number of n nodes needed to provide a, a national network. So a really interesting application there. And I know that uh, there's been like work done in standards and things for use cases around drones flying in mobile networks, for instance. Because the, one of the things typically, if you're trying to put a drone into a conventional network because the cells are so small, they're jumping between cells all the time, which is one mm. of the things which makes life difficult for the network because you're always trying to re-establish the connection. But of course, if you get bigger cells, it makes life easier for managing that type of traffic because they're in the cell for a much longer period of time. Is jumping cell, is that something that takes energy? You need to hand over between the cells, so it's a kind of controlled function that needs to take place. And so in the core network, and the, the, the thing that you dimension it for is the number of simultaneous things that are happening. So the more things that are happening, the more loaded it gets. I just uh, wanted to check, is it, of course, a lot of stuff in the futuristic was around sustainability and energy efficiency and all those kinds of things. Mm. But we'll come back to that later. I just wanted to also go back to the differences between the development level of the service providers out there. And here at the at Mobile Congress, everyone gets together and the differences between countries, regions, operators become very clear. So let's go back to Robert Johnson again, talking about the basic, but still quite impressive technology that people asked about. challenges have you heard firsthand when the customers have come and spoken to you about it? There can be very, very basic. For instance, some of the operators that just, just uh, started, they have 4G, they want to go to 5G. Like for instance, if you want to do, if you have the 3.5 gigahertz as a 5G technology, it would be beneficial if you could maybe put 5G on a lower frequency band as well. Then the question mark is, what is applicable in your country? So I've had some regulators here, for instance, as well, related 
to is the frequency band uh, technology neutral because if it isn't you cannot for instance deploy or you cannot activate 5G on that frequency band so for instance our Ericsson radio system radios that we introduced in 2015 they were directly from the beginning 4G and 5G capable and by a software by a software feature you can then switch on the 5G functionality. You don't have to change your antennas, don't change the radio. Everything is already there, it's just a software feature. And then on a very fast time interval, you can then divide your, so one millisecond time interval, you can divide your resources between the 4G and the 5G. By having that on a low frequency band, low frequency means good coverage. If you then carry aggregate that, with a higher frequency, the new 3.5 gigahertz, which has a shorter range, you can put some of your signaling from the higher layer to the lower layer and then expand the coverage reach of the 3.5 gigahertz band. And that means an operator doesn't have to densify their network directly with introducing new radio sites for the 3.5 gigahertz, meaning they can roll out the network quicker and also reduce their, their capex, uh, in that case, uh, less investments, uh, and also from a time to market uh, perspective, uh, so energy perspective as well. Uh, so that's a very basic uh, type of thing that we get with some of the operators uh, visiting here. I think you touched on a very interesting point there because we've been talking about 5G for uh, quite a long time now. And there are just the first operators that, that put 5G into the network. They're still building on their capabilities. We see lots of interest, for instance, in, in rolling out things like fixed wireless access. Rolling out 5G depends on things like availability of spectrum. So the different markets are at a different maturity when it comes to 5G. And there are still markets which are rolling out 5G using 5G to, to their market. Yes, it's interesting to see. We had at the Congress both like South Korean service providers or operators talking mm. about starting 6G trials in 2026, just a few years away. And at the same time, these operators who have just launched or haven't launched yet, or countries and governments who is like asking, can we do yep. this and that? Yep. And let's, for the... Final here in the futuristic part of our podcast, uh, our MWC special podcast. Let's listen to a service provider in India who's just started launching 5G. Randeep Sikon, CTO of Bharti Airtel. What did he want to highlight? It's such an honor to have you here today. I just wanted to ask you, like, what is your first impression? What is the booth or what is the area that you found most interesting and exciting? I think multiple areas. The first part is that the uh, the technology and especially the future technology on all domains of uh, telco are really exciting. And we are not only seeing the current product, but also the future products. But the use cases part on how we can monetize such a big investment which we are doing on 5G are very interesting, especially if it is around APIs, if it's around slicing, and it's a use case like FWA. So I would imagine that uh, what 
investments we are making, at some stage we'll start paying back into newer revenue streams than just B2C play. Fantastic, we are very excited with this collaboration. So I wanted to understand that what is your vision for your company for 5G and also how do you see that 5G is transforming India? You see, India is a very interesting market because uh, not all the population is connected through fiber media. And uh, when we started the 4G uh, journey, it was thought that it is only for uh, rich, but India has democratized data access. People in the most poorest places or the most remote places are able to get data the way a person in Bombay or uh, Delhi would get. I believe the same thing will happen for 5G. 5G is not for just cities, it is for everywhere. And our country is very committed to make 5G available wherever the demand is, rural, urban, equal. So I think 5G will further make high-speed internet, which is not there today because it is still a 4G-speed internet on wireless and there is no fiber. So 5G will bridge that gap and give a very high-speed internet so that people can actually really, if they choose to, live in remote India and work as if they are working in the downtown metropolitan. Thank you. We are so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much. Yeah, so that was Randy Psikon. CTO of Bartietel. CTO of Bartietel. And I have to say, in India is a very interesting market because it is geographically, it's very big. There's a very high population and quite a widespread also in terms of what people can afford. When things reach India, then it drives a lot of, drives a lot of volume, it drives a lot of scale. So it's quite a boost generally for the industry. Uh, we saw that with 4G when, when 4G rolled out in India that it kicks things along. I think it's going to be a very interesting market to, to keep an eye on in the next couple of years, I think, when they roll out at scale. Yeah, interesting when he talks about fixed wireless access, because that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode, Paul. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to talk about 5G and monetization, which yes. is, which as a consumer, that's, oh, how's my operator going to try and get more money out of me? Yeah. That's an interesting hot topic for the industry. But let's hold on that and continue in the next episode. Remember to like, comment, subscribe. If you like this podcast, it really helps. We have a great team of people we're working with, but when it comes down to it, a lot of work is done by us too. And we weren't hired to do podcasting, Paul. We're not. I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> so please, if you want us to continue, give us some good reviews and recommend us to your colleagues. And if you want to contact us, email is best. And which email is it, Paul? 5gpodcast at ericsson.com. Ah, you're so great. And, you know, out there, we love your suggestions and feedback. So please reach out to us.
Ericsson is a Swedish multinational networking and telecommunications company started in 1876 and headquartered in Schiester, just outside Stockholm. We sell infrastructure, software and services in the information and communications technology for telecommunications service providers and enterprises, including, among others, 3G, 4G and 5G equipment and IP and optical transport systems. We employ around 100,000 people and operate in more than 180 countries worldwide. Ericsson has over 57,000 granted patents and has been a major contributor to the development of the telecommunications industry and is one of the leaders in 5G.